destroy liberation just have vastly different understandings of what liberation is for. I haven't seen this much importance and attention. The story itself is a really wonderful, really great setup. Tractor Beam has been engaged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tractor Beam Comics Reviews on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network. My name is Matthew Nugabauer, coming to you live from the Star Wars Underworld North studio here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, as always, I'm joined by Chris Abbott himself uh, down in Underworld, New Jersey. I'm going to call it that from now on. Uh, how you doing, Chris? Oh, I think you're muted. No, shoot. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, I'll I'll keep on going. I'll let you figure that audio part out. Um, but yeah, today is also uh, Star Wars podcast day. Let me get that banner up. There we go. And uh, yeah, just show what that plug is. Uh, yeah, so it's Star Wars podcast day. It's the 25th anniversary of uh, Jedi Talks. Is the the podcast from 2020? Uh, it was would have been. Well, you were the 1999, just before the Phantom Menace. And uh, so this great fandom initiative that we're getting together and, and just talking about po- uh, celebrating Star Wars podcasting. Um, it's, it's grown by leaps and bounds. And so uh, happy to happy to be a part of that. We are the, the comic book review arm of the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network. Uh, of course, more well known for their flagship podcast on Thursday nights. Uh, at 9 p.m. But uh, yeah, here we are on Wednesdays talking, usually talking about comics. Usually we we review whatever books come out uh, this, that day. Today, there was a comic book that we would review, Mace Windu. We're going to review that next week. Um, it's a normal Wednesday for me, at least. So <laughs> we're going to review that next week. Um, but then, uh, yeah, because we got, got something special today uh, as advertised uh, for Star Wars podcast day it is the one and only ethan Sachs. i'm gonna bring him in right now Ooh, yeah there we go and chris good to know we can hear you <laughs> ethan welcome to uh the tractor beam comics reviews tractor beam podcast um and of course fresh off the bounty hunters run uh how's it going down in nyc it's going well thank you very much uh appreciate the invite thanks for having me yeah uh, and chris we can hear you just to make sure <laughs> yes. Okay, yes, All yes, right. yes. Uh, technical La- Yeah, last we left off, uh, we had met in London actually for yeah. my panel that I put together with you, Adam Christopher, Dominic, Kieran, Matt. We all had a fun conversation about bounty hunters that I'll never forget when you walked up on stage with the with the Bosk mask. That was just great. We had we had a Dengar a, amazing cosplayer just standing vigil on our on our great panel and it was a full room it was, it was amazing oh, so that was oh, yeah. oh. Can't get this oh he's doing it again that warms yes. my heart so much <laughs> i want that so much oh man yeah sir so we're, i have a high high standard of professionalism you know like <laughs> well, when you invite me on <laughs> well here's the thing so here's the thing you don't know is i literally have a prequelist t-shirt I am I'm a hardcore <laughs> die in the wall. Revenge of the Sith is the greatest film of all time. Uh, prequel era is my jam. So to hear you repping it, to know that you're you're writing a book set in the era, and we'll get to that hopefully at the end. Uh, definitely at the end. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for showing showing us the Django mask. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, first off, I do want to get into it. Um, 
a question, kind of a general question for you, Ethan. Uh, what's what's a day in the life like? What what's a comic writer and, and you in particular? I know the industry's changed over the decades and over the years. Uh, for you, what is a day in the life, and then kind of the process for writing a comic book overall? Well, I, I will say uh, the less romantic version of this is pretty much this is what I look like uh, for most of my waking hours because I'm literally sitting at my computer at my desk. Um, and I, I'm just going to flip the screen for a second. So like, this is what I look at when I, oh. when I'm working just a bunch of, uh, yeah, nerdy stuff. Um, <laughs> those action figures are all characters that I've written and that I love and are like trophies. Uh, yeah. So basically I, uh, being the adult I am, sit here looking at these <laughs> at these toys uh get inspired and and do a lot of writing um the less romantic uh, i guess version is uh that i um you know a lot of it is like you got to do outlines and first you got to do pitches talk to editors um you know do outlines and uh you know it's very kind of granular so like that's a little bit probably mm -hmm. less romantic than people think but uh it's it's always fun. I mean, you're you're basically paid to daydream, you know. So uh, yeah, but I'm very methodical because I, I I need the outlines. I need to sort of budget my time, especially if I'm working on multiple things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the thing, right? Is you have kind of this open structure to, but you have a deadline in your mind. Like, okay, today I'm gonna finish like I don't know whatever amount of pages or however amount of, of this story. And I feel like that was a good good day for me, mm -hmm. right? Some some kind of parameters, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I was gonna say, you know, you mentioned outlines and structure and just plotting things through. One of the things that really struck struck us both about Bounty Hunters, especially, I mean, everything you've done, but definitely Bounty Hunters, forty issue comic or forty two issue comic run. Sorry, it's right here. Um, really came to a satisfying end it came to you know it was very clear when you know in october when it was announced that this would be the last issue or around there um yeah you know sad to see it go but that that felt right and again that's very hard to do you know we said that about with Alyssa wong with afra as well uh what do you find makes that difficult the satisfying end that's charted out over over such a long period and how do you find you're able to do it well? What's, you know, the thought process in terms of seeding things in earlier that'll pay off later and just plotting a longer story out like that? Well, I think you're, you're uh, giving me a lot of credit there because I think, you know, when you start, when I started Bounty Hunters, mm -hmm. I was a little naive, right? Like I would have these threads that I was like, oh, I'll get to tie them off eventually. I, we had no idea how long it would last if, it, it was a gift that it lasted four years in this, um, you know, comic book mm -hmm. uh, period where just there are fewer ongoings and there are, you know, more frequent reboots and things like that. So the chance to do that and also to, for the vast majority of it, have the same artist was, um, you know, something mm -hmm. that really made a difference with the cohesiveness of the storytelling. Uh, I will say that some of the threads I was able to tie in that issue 42 if it was you know canceled at 22 if i as long as i had a little bit of runway before some of that would have would have happened you know i always 
after we knew that we were going to go past the first arc without being canceled, you know, I, I definitely had the idea throughout the, like, I knew what Valence's arc was going to be. He was mm-hmm. going to be this veteran who was catastrophically injured, had put himself together, uh, back together physically, mm-hmm. but was still broken emotionally. And it was like, he was still like fixing himself. Like he, he was going to grow by the end of the, of the, of the series very much like a, you know, a soldier with PTSD. And I knew in my mind that I wanted that last shot to be, uh, this is a bit of a spoiler for all of you out there who haven't read 42, but uh, I wanted him to have his hand out to the reader, Mm -hmm. you know, smile on his face. I didn't know who was going to be on the other end of that, but I wanted him to say something to the effect of, you know, it's a big galaxy. You know, I have no idea what's next, but you want to find out with me. I knew that was going to be the the rough version of the last line pretty Mm -hmm. much from the beginning. So, um, you know, so that, that's an example of something that I was writing towards. But then there were things that happened that you could never plan for. Like, for example, Cadelia. Right. The, mm. uh, for those of you who haven't read Bounty Hunters, she's like this heir to two warring syndicates. And a lot of, you know, she's just a kid, but a lot of people put, you know, a lot of pressure on her because she could either be used or, you know, elevated to sort of maybe bring peace to the underworld. Kind of that, that was the initial idea. And that. Uh, she was going to be with Valance for longer than two issues. But then uh, Grogu happened. And we were sitting around going, well, maybe this is a little too close to to that. So then we were like, okay, well, let's... And so we mm-hmm. sort of, you know, then Charles took her into War of the Bounty Hunters, made her Kira's protege. And that story got even better, I think, um, you know, under, under Charles' expert, uh, you know, storytelling. Uh, and then we were thinking of bringing, I was thinking of bringing her back, but then Bad Batch happened. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I just didn't want it to seem like we're just following in a, you know, somebody else's wake kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and so that led to other storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. so there are things that you have to roll with that evolve. Um, Another example of that is there was a time when we were going to spin balance off into his a separate book where he was going to be this mm. imperial, but the uh, it was it, unfortunately uh, it was during like the the you know paper the supply chain crisis and there was like oh, yeah. paper issues, so it was like that didn't happen and so instead he went in with Vader, but then I didn't have balance for for a while so then mm-hmm. it became mm-hmm. more of a Tonga and the yeah. crew book which I loved because it became more of an ensemble. Mm. Um, so these were more supporting characters that were kind of elevated to sort of the stars. Mm. And then that, you know, then it was great when we sort of could bring them all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was all stuff that we just sort of adapted to. Um, but, you know, I, I did know where I wanted, you know, I, I knew I wanted Tonga eventually to take down Boba Fett. I knew I wanted Valance to find happiness because I'm <laughs> subjecting them to so much cruelty. <laughs> You know, I knew I knew where I had to bring Tasu Leach, uh, because mm-hmm. you know he's yeah. he's kind of a more cynical character that doesn't speak basic or anything uh, in in uh, the Force Awake by the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. So like I, I wanted to start making him less like innocent and fun and more angry mm-hmm. over the course of the book. Um, you know, so there were things like that that I you know I wanted Bosk to betray the group because mm. it's sort of like the frog and the scorpion you know um it's the just trend station, ocean, you know, you know? I mean, they, they, <laughs> eat, they eat their siblings so like you know what do you expect <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so uh so th- those kind of things 
kind of more mm-hmm. or less, you know, when it happened evolved, but those yeah. kind of kind of were there. So it was a mix. It was a mix mm-hmm. of planning and um, and dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, all of that. I you say all that, and it makes me amazed at how central tonga is at least for me in this story yeah. uh, when i think of bounty Bound- hunters mm-hmm. yeah it was kind of marketed as with boba fett in the the tagline because you know um then of course bylert who of course comes from from legends and and you mentioned yeah. a lot about bylert but then this this uh mother character you know who has her own past of course with yeah. uh her family and her brother and then uh nakano lash and that crew that how she knows Byler. Um but then she becomes yeah the, the leader of this ensemble and the the I'd say the emotional core at least from from my perspective the emotional core of this story that from the second half at least drives it uh, especially after Byler gets arrested um or gets taken back in by, by the Empire was she I, I guess the answer you know she wasn't necessarily planned to be this main character but what how did that come about that she became such a prominent part of the story? She was always going to be like a supporting character, mm-hmm. but I, you know, it was, it was a weird tug and uh, tug and pull, tug and push, push yeah. and tug. I don't know. Push and pull <laughs> where, um, where on one hand there was definitely like, you know, uh, Mark Panicia, the brilliant editor mm-hmm. of the star Wars line. He very much wanted Valance to be, front and center in the book because uh you know it's a marvel created character this very rich character that we basically got back and could introduce into canon um and but then also you know there was a contingent that very much wanted the classic empire strikes back bounty hunters to be part of it and you know boba fett we we used as much as we could but it's just a character that that uh you know I, i think um they like to sort of have a little bit less is more you know right mm-hmm. Boba Fett couldn't be the star of an ongoing at that point in time. I don't know, if, you know. Um, so it, it just, you know, it's just too sort of mm-hmm. big, and there were plans behind the scenes and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was going to always be the sort of other bounty hunters. Um, but you know, in order to sort of bridge that, I wanted to create some of our own original characters. Yeah. I, I had I had Tonga in mind, uh, Tonga and Losha. Um, you know, I, I wanted them to be a couple. I wanted them to be a couple that's rare in Star Wars where they're actually happy and whatever. Did the sword group um, allow that? No. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so you know, I, and then it just ended up being like a kind of fun family dynamic. And like, you know, Zuckus and 4LOM, like you could, yeah. you could, it's almost like a blank slate. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I was writing a standalone issue for Zuckus, uh, which was set on the planet Gand. And I reached out to Story Group. I was like, you know, what what do we know about Gand? And they're like, not much. So, like, I could actually I could actually be the first to you know show the, you know, the in, in canon to have. OK, well, this is what the planet is like and this is what their culture is like. And I mean, I can't tell you how. I saw Star Wars when I was four years old. I saw Empire Strikes Back and I saw Zuckus and crazy insectoid, you know, (laughs) thing on the bridge when I was seven years old. I had them on my sheets and here I am like, you know, basically plotting out his childhood. So like that, that was, you know, it's humbling and cool. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was was always a matter of like finding how to connect those and, and, um, you know, having some original characters 
you know, uh, definitely. And I also knew that, you know, Tonga was also going to have her own PTSD sort of overcoming story. Uh, the the ones that like surprised me, the one that surprised me, I guess, is Fakora because, and all I, I give so much credit to Alyssa because they took uh, that character into Afra, and like it was just she was just a villain <laughs> like for for a plot point in the first arc mm-hmm. of my ser- series, and then Alyssa took took Fakora, and they just made her so cool mm-hmm. that it was like. Okay, well now, and then I started thinking of you know with Paolo backstory. So, um, so that was a character that just evolved over time. You know, sometimes it's like you're not really in control; they're sort of in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, the thing with bounty hunters for me is is well exactly what we're talking about, right? You got the mainline comics dealing with Luke Leia, huh? you know, Luke Leia, Lando, and all them, but bounty hunters is something special because it's all these mostly original characters now. Uh, for you, is it is it more difficult to write for characters like established like Boba Fett and, and these other characters that intermingle with Austin, or these like newer characters that that might have a blank slate like like Zuckus like for um, where does that where's the difficulty? Is it is it the established characters or is it the blank slate characters? I guess I think like in my case, I I for the vast like I have a luxury as does Alyssa where we're using characters when we do use characters in you know from live action we're not really dealing that much except for cameos or or guest starring things mm-hmm. of like the the marquee characters that have a long backstory associate you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's you know you take a character like zuckus there isn't that much i'm not worried about tripping over you know some continuity that i didn't know or something like i'm just not worried about that because there's you know there's a there's a freedom that comes with this level of character that you know you think about it we saw these bounty hunters for seconds in empire strikes mm-hmm. back um you know and then like bosk has gotten some more development with clone wars and and uh you know um but for the most part like you have some freedom with that and i the trickier ones would be like having darth vader yeah, <laughs> uh, because I wanted to keep the I don't know how many people watching this are old enough to remember the original Marvel comics run from the late 70s and beyond. But the original Valance, um, he meets uh, meets his end at first from, by uh, fighting Darth mm. Vader. And he's just and you see it also in Target Vader more recently. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. dumb enough to <laughs> go against Vader, despite like, you know, yeah. the obvious worst move in the world and so i definitely wanted to sort of you know have them and also paolo i asked paolo once like what character is your favorite character to draw and he said darth vader without missing a beat Mm. so i was like all right i'm gonna work darth vader into this into this uh and we did and so i that was to me you know but it's challenging yeah i don't know how greg does it because greg does this excellent job Oh, yeah. for all these issues with a mm. character who's it's not like vader walks around telling you his feelings like he doesn't there's not a lot of exposition <laughs> sure you know he's, you know um yeah so that was i think more challenging that and also chewbacca because uh i've written him twice once <laughs> once in uh in bounty hunters and once in uh, galaxy's edge and 
I just run out of Wookiee sound effects. Like, it's just so, <laughs> no. so hard to script. Uh, and I literally was like pouring over like every comic Chewbacca ever appeared. And I was trying to figure out what the language was. <laughs> like when he's saying that, like, am I going to put something in it? And somebody out there is going to say, oh, it's the wrong. That's not. It's <laughs> <laughs> the wrong show. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, so I would say that was more challenging than I, I find yeah. it very easy to write the core bounty hunters actually, and I, I related to some of them very, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and, and actually, Zuckus and Foro LOM, I kind of just made my own because I, I envisioned them as murder Bert and Ernie, huh. literally, like the note I have okay. <laughs> murder Bert and Ernie, like they're just yeah. they are Bert and Ernie, but like just they also, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. I would say Chewie's uh, voice. That, that's Charles's problem. He can he can deal with yes. that. I don't um, know how. Do not know how. He does it. I had two issues, and I was like banging my head he's, against. He's the Charles. Wall. <laughs> um, you mentioned characters going up against Vader, right? I mean, the only characters we really see go up against Vader are characters with the Force, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like like Kanan and Cal and yeah. Cal Kestis, and obviously Luke Skywalker, that guy. Um, so this gets at an interesting thing. So another confession I should make is you know, very early on with this story, my jam with Star Wars are the space wizards, are the Jedi, are the mystical element. You know, Chris is more into underworld bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, one of the, I think maybe the, I don't know if it was a challenge, if you'd say it was a challenge or an opportunity was to say, okay, what is it about the underworld? What is it about bounty hunters that makes for just good story, good Star Wars generally, that can appeal to folks like Chris who are, who are kind of already there and, and folks like me who, you know, are, are going to be there because of Star Wars, but, but maybe need a bit more convincing. Um, you know, what, you know, and you, like you mentioned, you know, you, you connect with the Bounty Hunter characters themselves. What is it about, about this, type, that, this corner of Star Wars that appeals to you? I think for me, like, you know, just my own, as a fan, I gravitate to the Rogue Ones and the Andors and like, mm-hmm. um, just the, the, the grounds I view of what's happening. Cause I, I think like Star Wars on this macro level is like good versus evil in this cosmic battle of the, you know, the empire versus the rebellion and, um, or the resistance versus the first order. Like it, it's Jedi versus Sith but it's on this cosmic scale and like the average person, be it a Thorian or human or, you know, Rodian or whatever is just trying to survive in this amid this thing that's much bigger than them. And I kind of felt like for me, one of the ways in was like, here are a bunch of anti-heroes or heroes, however you want to look at them. They don't particularly care. Maybe Valance might care a little bit, but most of them don't particularly care if the empire wins or the rebellion wins because their life is going to be just as tough. They're going to be eking out, you know, a living, doing a dangerous job because that's the best way they know how to make a living. Like nothing is going to change for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought like, I really like that. I really like that about this, this part of the world. Cause they're not, you know, that, that sort of high minded morality is just not, they don't have the luxury of that. Right. So, um, I, I liked that. Um, that's what I gravitated towards. And there's, there's some cool stuff you can do 
you know, uh, would I love to have the occasional light? You know, I was so excited when I I could get the Knights of Ren to fight the bounty hunter. It's like, oh, there's a lightsaber. If you if you look really closely, there's a lightsaber. Um, <laughs> so, so I did get a lightsaber. You know, I've gotten a few of them here and there, but for the most part, uh, yeah, because who doesn't want to well, yeah. doesn't want to ride a lightsaber battle? You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh... Then again, that brings me back to Tonga, just because, to, again, this is my reading of the story. She does embody a morality in the 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 small, in the relationship with Lasha, and the way she's protective of her, um, uh, protective of her crew, in in a way that still sends them out into danger. And and at the end, I mean the the this this great collision. Okay, Bylert's being taken yeah. by the scourge, and we'll get into the the whole crossover issues with crossover. No issues but you know the 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 story of the of the crossovers in a minute but um you know then the, again like you said betrayed by by uh by bosk and the crew um what would you say what is kind of the the moral core for tonga and, and is that you know how does that kind of play out in the whole story if you go back like all, all the way you know to the beginning of the series she had a life that she she had given up the bounty hunting life she met someone she loved she married her and they started as as uh, you know farmers uh, i believe it's moisture farmers but at this point i don't even remember uh what they're actually farming um but uh then you know she lost her twin brother and she comes from a culture where they're you know almost not quite psychically linked but very very tight and the person that her former mentor that she blamed you know, resurfaces. And so she goes after, and at first it's a mission of revenge. And then this is missed a lot on the initial reading, I think, uh, by many people, but there, it's sort of like a flashback and a, and a present day sort of interplay. And her twin brother is killed by Boba Fett. And she's been going on this revenge mission and she's seemingly killed by Boba Fett in the exact same way on the, on the next page, but she survives ultimately. And then she changes, right? Like, so then from there, it's like, I can't keep going down this path. I have to let that go and find a bigger purpose. And so then she decides that she's going to try to protect Cadelia and she gets a crew together to do that and then fails miserably when Cadelia doesn't want to go with her. So then it's like, well, what's next? But now she's protective of the crew. So she keeps, what I love about her is she fails. Uh, She almost dies. She fails again. She doesn't almost die, but she keeps putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, I really, I love her. I don't know if you can see behind me. I have a Paolo Villanelli original nice. uh, cover of the of one of the variants, but that's her, oh. her face. I don't know if you can see it. A little bit. Uh, hopefully people on a bigger screen can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I love her especially. Um, you know, I mean, she's my, Paolo and my baby, <laughs> as, as we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, I, I love how she's come along. And then I've loved that you see a bit of her uh, in Alyssa's uh, revelation story and in and Mark Guggenheim's um, Han and Chewie uh, series. And so I just love seeing other writers write this character that I created. Mm. Um, the very This is a sad story, but the very first Star Wars character I ever created, because the, the first... Uh, Star Wars story that I got to tell for Marvel, my first ever piece of uh, puzzle piece that I got to put into, you know, into the giant picture that is the Star Wars 
mm-hmm. franchise was a 10 page Mace Windu lightsaber story in um, Age of Republic special. And coincidentally, that artist oh. was Paolo Villanelli. Yeah. Oh, nice. In fact, I have, if I flip the screen here, I have a piece of original art where Mace Windu is fighting this character, Kotako the Grim, that I created. I was so excited. He looked so cool. <laughs> oh, this yeah. villain I created. And I killed him off on page eight of a 10-page story. <laughs> so I was, I was telling my daughter, I was like, I got to create, uh, you know, I got to I got to add a new cool character to the Star Wars canon. She's like, yeah, but you killed him in eight pages. Like, no one's ever going to see him again. And I just... just... You never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So I actually, if you look at Bounty Hunters, I haven't really killed that many of the major characters. Like, you know, uh, Nakano Lash was probably the only major one I've killed. And part of that was, like, I <laughs> did not want them to disappear. I learned my lesson. So uh, yeah, so Kotako the Grim, uh, we can have a moment of silence for the for the great great <laughs> villain that, that never really was. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that was my my first. I, I learned a lesson from that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Halcyon Legacy at the that issue with that they all come in. That's set yeah. after yeah Endor. So. Uh, there, yeah. there you go. Uh, Let me I mean, tell you a little secret. Yeah. I put in Tonga and Losha so that no one kills them. Yeah. After <laughs> I leave, now we know they're alive. So, <laughs> but I purposely did not put Valance in because I want to keep you guessing as to whether or not uh, he survives. Yeah, I, I really liked how you egged on the internet over the last <laughs> several years about will he or won't he die? That was great. The Valance Nation, everybody getting riled uh, up all the time. <laughs> I would also I occasionally put in actual grains of truth, like about a year before the storyline when his uh, lover sh- shoots him in the head, actually to save his life, which he doesn't know at the time, and he falls off the cliff. I put, wouldn't it be funny if in issue 31 this happened and no one, and then when issue 31 comes out, there's all these detectives that found it, you know, it's like, oh my God, he predicted. And so they wonder if all the crap I say holds some sort of importance <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for the future. But I only would do that occasionally. I did. I did say, like, imagine if forty-two ends with all happy endings, and then ha 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 ha. ha. So, <laughs> I did telegraph that. Yeah, uh, Kadelia going with uh, uh, Tonga and Lasha uh, in there, and I think Vukora, yeah, part of that group as well. Yeah, that. Yeah, nice, nice kind of fun, happy ending, kind of going off into the sunset there. Um, I do mm-hmm. again, again, another. Shout to Charles. I, I call I call that all that the Twitter stuff. The uh, Charles School, Charles Soul School, and ca- causing a fuss, <laughs> causing <laughs> internet fuss. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um, you you mentioned Cadelia, of course, doesn't want to go with the Edgehog crew because she's mm-hmm. with Kira uh, and doing fine. Actually, you know, Kira's finally taking her seriously, or or seems to be. Um, yeah. and that of course gets us into the the you know the the great events uh, of. You know, in the last few years with with Star Wars comics, um, of course, you know the I, I don't know if I want to say Charles Soule hems it, hel- helmed it rather, but um, maybe the no, question he was, for you. He was the mastermind. Yeah. But the cool um, thing was, um, you know, the again, I'm biased here because obviously I I, I live this, mm-hmm. but I think this era of Marvel comics is a golden age of Star Wars comics, and I think the the two reasons why is number one 
the four core series plus all the wonderful spin-offs, including the ones that uh, the Googs uh, wrote is um, they are all connected in the same time period. So that allowed for crossovers that had actual meaning for all the different issues. Mm -hmm. And that also the fact that these great editors, Mark Panicia, uh, Danny Chasm, uh, uh, Mikey Basso, Tom Groneman before that, like they all got to, uh, they all sort of did these weekly Zooms with us. So all the writers were on the Zooms and we got to work together. Um, and, you know, Charles was the mastermind behind the, um, behind the crossovers, but also like one of the most collaborative people I've ever, you know, met. He'd be like, how can we work in what you want to do in Bounty Hunters here? You know, uh, I'd love to take Valance for a while with Boba Fett. It's like, is there anything you need to come out of this? You know, and I was like, yes, can you please blow him up? You know, <laughs> like that was the, yeah. um, you know, so it was, it was very, very like, um, collaborative and, you know, he's just like an amazing person to work with uh, mm -hmm. as, as is everybody in that, in that group. So yeah, I, yeah. no good. No, um, that was, that was pretty much it. Yeah. And, and again, we could tell, um, the way, yeah, like we were saying too, this high watermark for Star Wars comics, just because, I mean, the, for the canon completionists like we are, that we are, right? It's, uh, yeah, you're re really rewarding everyone who read everything. Obviously, I'm also a high, huge High Republic fan, so loving what's what's happening there. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. Maybe just to to look at that this moment in you know professionally in your career, what was that collaboration like, and how does that maybe compare and contrast to some other things you've experienced? I think for the most part, uh, it is a, you know, you're, you're working by yourself for the most part. Um, and, uh, uh, am I frozen or okay. I can't nope, tell you. Okay, there we go. Okay. Uh, you know, for the most part, you're working by yourself. You're trading emails with editors and artists and stuff. So having, having this sort of group, you know, I always used to joke that, uh, that I was like Ringo in the super group, you know, uh, no offense to Ringo <laughs> fans out there. Uh, but it just to learn from and collaborate and just get to know these people as friends. Uh, that was the best takeaway. Cause a lot of times, you know, if I'm working, I'm working on some great stuff and it's fun, but it's very rare that you have that level of interaction and, um, you know, collaboration, on, on anything else really that I've experienced. Yeah. I really enjoy this era. We were talking about like, you were talking about the golden era of, of star Wars comics. And this happened to be one of my favorite eras ever because of a little game called shadows of the empire. I mean, that was mm -hmm. my heyday. I was like <laughs> six or seven. I bought an N64 to play this game <laughs> Then I'm getting the IG 88 double pack that, that came out from uh, Kenner toys, right? I was all over this era. Loved all the characters, and then I got noticed that they were doing the comics in 2020, starting with this, and then going and adding all these, uh, and ever getting ever getting Kira. It, it is such a really deep storyline going through all of this. So yeah, I, I just absolutely love how out of all the time errors, like this was the one that started to really get fleshed out. We don't even have Han Solo around and yet we're yeah. getting all this great smuggler <laughs> and underworld stuff. Thanks to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the incredible thing is like, you know, arg arguably I would say the greatest or the, the, the most popular character in, in this, in 
Star Wars, you can make a case for Luke, I guess, but um, or Obi Wan or two, I guess. But like you know, Han Solo not being in it, but casting this big shadow, this square shape or this rectangular shape <laughs> yeah. shadow, I guess technically. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it it is it's kind of amazing because obviously he has an important role, and I wanted to acknowledge that also in the mm. in the last issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, you know CB. And the rest of the crew at Marvel, because like, you know, one thing is like when the decision is made to, you know, to and often like you have to do it around like where the trade paperbacks would end. Like it's just a natural fit. So like we were coming and it would be naturally like where the dark droid saga was going to end. But I there's no way I could also do a lot of what I wanted to do. So I basically asked for another issue and they gave me a 30 page issue. Mm-hmm. And I asked for Paolo to come back for like the what I called the return of the king <laughs> postscript, you know, um, the last twenty minutes of the movie, if you will. Uh, and they gave me all that. Uh, you know, they, it was their. They actually said, "Why don't you take thirty pages?" And so, like, mm. to have that luxury, I could tell a good, you know. And and what I really wanted to do was wrap, you know, because the one thing is like when War of the Bounty Hunter starts, you know. Valance is the kind of person who would Han is his friend and he feels like he owes Han. And so him for saving him in, um, you know, in uh, uh, cadet solo. And so he would not stop until he was dead, mm-hmm. uh, trying to save Han. If he knew Han was, was frozen, which he does, right. Cause of war of the bounty hunter. I, I didn't feel like it's right for him to say, Oh, well I tried, you know, and then like go back as if nothing happened. So I wanted to sort of explain why he never tried. Like, we didn't see him elsewhere try, you know. So either one of two things happened. He tried and failed and was killed, which I can understand as a reader of Bounty Hunters. You would assume I'd go that route. Um, (laughs) Or he had to play some part in the rescue, like some secondary role, but was important. And so I really wanted to give him that win. And so, uh, you know, that was like, kind of like the idea behind that last adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really great tying in, tying in again, having that collaboration, tying in the, the big droid from Mark Guggenheim's <laughs> line. Like that really, that was a home run issue really connecting, as we said before in the show. All, all yeah, the, I talked, the I talked to Mark from... a lot. I talked to him about the neural core. Mm. Um, I know that was big for the editors to sort of put that in there as well. And so we had a whole way that it all fit together. Um, and I just, I love, love the idea of this, of this lovable idiot who, <laughs> instead of like sneaking around and trying to like sabotage it through like mm-hmm. some sort of ninja like mission, he just like <laughs> goes in, gets himself caught and basically offers himself up to be killed by this giant droid. And then, <laughs> uh, and then defeats him that way. Like just the, the, the least safe way to do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just it just felt like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, thinking about the little the crossover event, and I mean, Valance specifically being this underworld character, he's with the Empire a bit, but you know, this underworld character that's also a cyborg, uh, and of course, an underworld line that's also a cyborg. Um, you know, how much would you say? You know, because bounty hunters then would be the perfect. The perfect piece, and you know, the in a way, the I don't do I want to say the what's the the cornerstone, but the the, the integral piece to 
you know this this crimson rain saga a crimson dawn saga and then the dark droids uh aspect to it at the end um how would you say bounty hunters impacted the whole crossover event and how would you say bounty hunters was impacted by the the everything else happening i mean i think these events were so huge that they affected everybody so like i don't know that it was necessary even war of the bounty hunters which has bounty hunters in its title it was basically this you know um crimson dawn coming up with uh you know this this dropping this basically this atomic bomb on everybody like here's uh han solo and you know um and it's just it's part of a larger plan and and ultimately she's going after the sith and so obviously the bounty hunters are maybe less integral to that plan, but they're swept up in it all, you know, uh, because of the warring syndicates and, uh, and other things. And then, you know, Vader is using Valance um, and the bounty hunters are sent, you know, and so they end up sort of crossing paths. Uh, in Dark Droids, I, there was actually a story that I wanted to do and I was, I was excited to bring in Inferno Squad for the story. Oh, yeah. Oh, so uh, good. God, I can't tell you. And I, uh, yeah, I I got to talk to like one of the creators of of <laughs> and uh, um, oh. you know, I I got to uh, um, it was just just some fun because I just I I have no issue with bounty hunters the bounty hunters crew getting their butts kicked <laughs> by superior opponents uh like Knights of Ren like Inferno Squad and but them trying them trying to like they're hopelessly outclassed. But they're trying to sort of, um, and so I knew I wanted a guy. It was a very personal story for me, like him losing his memory. Mm. Uh, and I've I've said this before, but basically, like as I get older, um, I'm very aware. Like I'm forgetting things, like like little facts, like my fourth grade classmate or something like that that I used to know, but just over time my grandmother's voice is getting fading. And like, I realized that I'm, my cousin and I are probably like the last in my family that my, like I, you know, my father died in 1995. My grandmother died in 1995. And like my grandfather died, like when I was three. And like, when I go, it's like, they die with me. You know what I mean? Like this, like I have their memory and it just, that's been a very personal thing. And so the idea of him losing his memory is like losing his memory of his mother but living with that kind of, I was like, I got to work this in somehow. So then it became, then it sort of slotted in nicely to the dark droids because then it sort of made him this empty vessel that they could use as a, as the scourge could use as a, you know, as like a, a like a WMD. Um, mm. But I, I knew I wanted to do something with him losing his memory and turning into a killing machine and them trying to salvage. So like we had set up way back in issue 1819 that they, the empire had backed up backed up right. his memories up to a certain point uh so that that would be our MacGuffin to sort of get him almost back to normal yeah uh so but until then i could play with this feeling of what it's like to lose these memories and know that these people that mattered so much to you are sort of you know kind of fading away <laughs> all right it's kind of a downer. Sorry, guys. No, no, uh, it's was, real. You know, it's real life. <laughs> You're yeah, for it. I, I worked a lot of personal stuff. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... I gotta say though, it, it's great to see, right? On 
on this level of like, all right, we got this awesome action-packed bounty hunter comic with all these really cool side characters I love, and then you're just hitting me like a like a truck emotionally, <laughs> ripping out my heart at these yeah. moments. Like, Ethan, what is he doing? Like, this is emotionally impactful stuff more than any of the comics otherwise that I've read. It's like just amazing how again these aren't even characters on the screen. And I'm getting this amount of emotional resonance coming from these pages of a comic book. It's it's really powerful stuff. So again, oh, hats you. off to you for yeah. really driving home these great, great moments. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Would you say that that's that comes from in part the that appeal of characters on the ground? Um, again, yeah. I mean, I keep going back to Tonga, but yeah, I mean, Byler too, and in, in his relationships. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to say you know. I guess kind of what you're what you're suggesting here is that the plan for you know the person on the other other side of that last last issue that last uh, last frame the, the page there would would be would be the partner. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name, but Chiala. Uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Hayden is the uh, last name because uh, mm -hmm. named after Hayden Christian. <laughs> nice. Ha! <laughs> nice. There we go. Um, yeah, and, and to be this i mean this sign of hope and restoration of mm. of his identity is is that maybe what you're what you're going for and was that yeah thing seated in early yeah on? i wanted i wanted i wanted to you know i'm handing off the baton to whoever comes next with mm -hmm. some whoever uses these characters next in whatever form uh so i wanted to leave it on an upbeat note for most of them you know, maybe not Bosk. Maybe he feels a little guilt somewhere in his reptilian brain. But uh, for the most of them, I wanted it to be, you know, because I put them through some miserable stuff. And that was, you know, the theme was overcoming that trauma, right? Like that was uh, like very important to me. And I think like a lot of the readers in Valance Nation and beyond who got, who, who really felt a connection to it. I think that's one of the things they connected to. Um, yeah. You know, every time these these lovable losers get knocked down, they get, they pick themselves up and try again. And, um, you know, mm. yeah. so I mean, yeah. that's another theme about people who are more relatable on the, on the ground floor. Uh, you know, that, yeah, don't always succeed. Don't always win. <laughs> you know, I mean, Luke, of course, an empire and the whole rebellion takes the L then yeah. too, but you know, that's just one exactly. film. This is, yeah. Definitely appreciate well, that. You, you could argue they took the L because this new Republic didn't last very long. And then they were like, yeah. literally that hard for their hard fought victory ended up, you know, being tragically, uh, ultimately not a victory. Mm -hmm. um, I have a quick question. Uh, so I see some very good questions yeah. in the comments. Should I answer yeah, them out loud? You, Should I try yeah, to? If you'd like to. Um, yeah, yeah, we can yeah, that was a good transition moment too. Uh, yeah, I can get to Joel's here. Uh, do you take inspiration from other legend stuff? Because uh, we mentioned Byler, but you know, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, Tales from Jabez Palace. Uh, yes, I do. I always look for um, other legend stuff, but also you know, like not even just legend uh, stuff. Like you know, take Death Stick. Uh, I just, yes. you know, I never actually That's played that asking. video game, but I, 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 I never get that trailer out of my head. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I was like the chance to put her in, nobody objected. Uh, mm -hmm. but yes, I, it specifically to answer Joel's question, tales of the bounty hunters, which 
it was released in the 90s. It's a collection of, for those of you who don't know, like individual stories about Dengar and, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically all the major Empire Strikes Back era bounty hunters. Um, specifically, the Dengar story I actually took a lot about his backstory, including his love affair with uh, mm-hmm. Manaru, um, who uh, certainly deserves better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I did take little details. Uh, you know, certainly also bask some of the uh, religious, uh, Trandoshan religious stuff from there as well. So yeah, that was that one specifically was a was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I also took a lot out of uh, the previous Marvel run. I was inspired by some things from some other, you know, Dark Horse and things like that. But I wouldn't say there was like any kind of direct, mm-hmm. uh, direct stuff in there. But yeah uh legends legends there's there's little easter eggs and tips of the cap as well mm-hmm. and and these are of course both prose stories uh i don't know is that maybe in the cards yeah. for you to be writing writing more prose uh, do you have experience with that a bit or? you know i i've i've never actually written you know i'm, I'm my previous experience was as a journalist so i've written like you know three thousand word articles or things mm-hmm. like that but i've never actually written pros professionally but who knows they're, yeah. they're i dabbled in some talks once i don't know if <laughs> okay. i'm enjoying what i'm doing so yeah, uh, yeah. fair enough <laughs> fair enough uh question from ben um speaking of you know, transitioning to different media uh anything you've created that secretly helps makes the 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 jump from paper to, to screen uh tv or or film I would love to see some of these characters uh, make a live action debut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Tonga and Losha would be top of that list, but I'd love to see Baylor too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten into some good natured sort of battles with Valance Nation over the casting of, of <laughs> Baylor. Of, uh, Baylor. Um, Valance, and I think Carl Urban would be my pick. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. He was in Star Trek, so I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, this is just entirely speculation. Uh, when do you think Afra is going to make the jump to live action? To, to I mean, I, I don't know the answer, but it whenever. Yeah, it yeah is, just when do you think? Yeah. Not soon enough is the answer. <laughs> is it, uh, I mean, that that is like the perfect Disney Plus series right there. Yes. Like, mm. you know, Star yes. Wars meets Indiana Jones. Like literally, that's that's the high concept pitch. Like that, yeah. if I was sitting in a boardroom, I would expect to get a promotion in a corner office by just <laughs> saying those words out loud. Yes. So, yeah. Now, what we uh, really hope is Alyssa can be in the room and be able to make. Yeah, it I, I hope I hope they they would <laughs> yeah. get to be in the writers' room yeah. on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, I think uh, I think we can good to you know shift a little bit forward. We mentioned. Um, you know, mentioned off the top, you had the, you had the Django mask, uh, yeah. you know, I'll, so I'll bring it up. I mean, so one of the things I'm looking forward to, so again, I, I said, I'm, I'm a prequelist, uh, yeah. and, and Chris is, Chris is a bounty hunter underworld. And so that's the perfect comic for us because it's, it's in the era, <laughs> but with, uh, you know, you know, with, with, with this character that has this, I mean, screen has developed, a bit more in terms of like book of boba fett developed a bit more about his his backstory of course there is the the legends comic um mm-hmm. it goes into it too 
you have recently gone back to that era uh, mm-hmm. in Bounty Hunters number 38 with the with Telemac yeah. confronting him. Um, and so, or confronting Grievous, sorry. It's not the same yeah. era. I'm not, I don't well, know if 37, I did, I did, I did get to write Django in 37. Yes. yes. And um, I got a little, because the, the whole conceit of that issue was sort of mm-hmm. Boba Fett having this information right. that his father had gotten. So it was a little bit of sort of back and forth with the flash uh, flashbacks, but I I really got the bug to write Django from that limited, mm-hmm. you know, single issue experience. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I love about Django so much in comparison to Boba Fett. Boba Fett is awesome. I'm glad I got to write Boba Fett. They're very different characters, despite having a lot of this, having the same ship, having the same weaponry for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of overlap in their skill set. What I think the big difference is Boba Fett having, and I'm somebody like I lost my father when I was 22. Boba Fett was, you know, was whatever, eight, something like that. Um, And that void, like it just makes him a more haunted and sort of there's a darkness that he carries with him. And I also kind of, when I wrote him, I wrote him almost like a Jason Voorhees type, where it's like a force of nature that comes in, doesn't say much, kills a bunch of people, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Django Fett, at least in the point in time that I have him, is more of that kind of swashbuckling, you know, um, type of, mm-hmm. of hero. Like he's, he's there's a sort of a, a lighter version in terms of he's not carrying that heaviness on him mm-hmm. in the same way. So it's a little bit more fun and there's less, um, cause I'm writing him. This is set before the Phantom Menace. I won't say how much before sure. I won't say any of the details, Ooh. but it's before. <laughs> so there's all the shadowy stuff going on. Um, uh, you know, that, um, we may as readers kind of infer things from, but they, the, the people going through it don't necessarily know. So it's kind of, it's interesting how much I got to get away with in this, uh, you know, mm. sort of tying, tying the story into a larger story, let's just say, um, <laughs> that I think is, uh, has been a lot of fun. He's just, it's just a fun character to write. It's, this has like that. I, I, I definitely incorporate, as, as much as I incorporate Star Wars mythos, I incorporate some Westerns that I love. Um, you know, there's this, some obscure ones too, like The Bounty Man, uh, which is this movie where, where the, the title <laughs> character basically is after a robber and goes into this town, doesn't, knows that, that they're there, but doesn't know what they look like or who they are. And it's like that kind of, um, there's all this stuff that, that I, I kind of got to work in as little homages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's been a lot of fun. This is just a lot. It's, it's a very different book. Um, you know, there's a little mystery. There's, there's some intrigue, a whole lot of, uh, blaster fire. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it, it, it's certainly because it's a, it's a tighter story in that like, I, I don't have four years worth of threads to try to figure out how to tie it. Tie up. Yeah. Yeah. Jago Fett happens to be 
I say this sometimes, like my favorite prequel character. I mean, it goes back to when I seen the trailer for episode two and, you know, 2001 yeah. or 2002 and just seeing Slave One and seeing this guy, Mandalorian, it looks a lot like Boba Fett fighting off against a Jedi Knight in the rain on this <laughs> yeah. foreign planet I haven't seen before. Like all this imagery, you know, but uh, my favorite color is blue. So the blue and the steel, I'm like, all right, this guy automatically looks really, really cool from the get go. Yeah. Um, but and we know that this character was picked specifically for a reason to be a template for a cl- for the clone army. So yeah, I've like been like nipping like, at the bud to get yeah. like more stories about him because Canon has really left him other than your story, which was awesome that we got in Bounty Hunters. There's there's really a, a really clean slate. I'm surprised yeah. this far into the, the Disney Lucasfilm era that we haven't seen. So when I heard this was announced and, and now you're saying it's even before the Phantom Menace, I'm very, very curious to see like the beginning of his reputation really taking hold and, and us seeing some really cool stuff. Like, this is why this is the guy, not Cad Bane or something. You know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You'd want an army of Cad Banes or anything. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems to me <clears throat> what you're saying, you know, we have the image of Boba Fett. I'm thinking of even the, the McNiven cover, the yeah. the director's oh, yeah. edition cover to Bounty Hunters or War of the Bounty Hunters number one. Yeah. Just that very Western look, uh, swashbuckling look, but like you said, a very much more quieter, silent force of nature. It seems to me it, it's something character going to have that look, that visual language, and yet be a lot more playful and younger it, you know is that kind of what you're playing with there yeah i mean i like i would say my mantra for the for this series was mm-hmm. and i think chris alluded to this is like he, he's building this reputation that mm-hmm. makes you know makes these larger forces take notice and okay. perhaps you know like so this is sort of earlier in his i mean it's, it's he's in his career enough that a lot of people know enough to fear him, mm-hmm. but um, he's still making a name for himself. Yeah. And uh, I got to play with some cool bounty hunters from that era as well, mm-hmm. which was nice. Yeah. At least okay. one of which you may know of from uh, Revelations. So, nice. Yes. Yeah. So the Revelations, I guess, is like the prelude that takes place before issue number one of the series. Actually, uh, it's set it's within the story it's not it's not replicated but it's it happens between issue one and issue two so he's already looking for something that he Mm -hmm. finds out about Mm -hmm. in issue one but it's part of you know without spoiling it too much he's looking in many places for leads so Mm -hmm. uh that is one of the but it was like a kind of fun six page story and anytime i get to reunite with will sliney who i worked with on uh, galaxy's edge and halcyon legacy I'm, i'm in Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this question about influences you know i mentioned uh, uh yeah so this is, you know the, the django fat game um the i forget what the the legends comic is called the one about his his origin yeah and his, you know the that conflict with death watch i have it um, somewhere yeah. around here but yeah I, yeah i've read that um, i would say not exactly like i would say i i looked at all this stuff for the sort of the tone of the character but like no easter like i just didn't dive in like a lot of this is sort of new Mm -hmm. so i would say inspirations maybe rather than anything specific okay that's fair um can you can you share what kinds of inspirations then 
No. Okay. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> not, not because I'm a jerk, although. Uh, yeah. I, I could, yeah, but just I, I. Anything I say, I kind of feel like might spoil stuff. Right. So. Right. And I, I definitely, I'm definitely one of those people who believes you'll enjoy it more if you if you come in without knowing what to expect. Yeah. So I, I have a question with. Uh, I've seen all your beautiful action figures. Now, do you actually, we've heard other creators in the space, like play with their action figures, to like put in their head about what the battles might look like or the skirmishes. Do you do something like that yourself? Like have a moment where you're kind of like go back into I, I kid form used, and you're just like fighting with the gun. That. I used to do that. And that's, <laughs> it sounds like more fun than it is, but I would try to choreograph things. Mm -hmm. And actually then I read Charles Soule's script for, uh, war, the bounty hunters, the, the, alpha issue mm. and um you know and he was writing for steve mcniven right like one of the great artists and he would put like for the scene you know what the key beats would be but basically you go have fun like as long as by the end of this this happens mm -hmm. and that was such a revelation for me because like why am i spending all my time when i'm working with these great visual engineers you know why am i spending all my time telling them how to visualize <laughs> right. you know what i mean and so then I started, especially with Paolo, who is just brilliant. Like he has this kinetic mm. feel. Like it feels like they're, you really mm -hmm. feels three-dimensional with the motion and, and like the power behind it. So I'm like, what, you know, <laughs> I should let it, I should let the, the maestro step up to the podium and like, you know, and so then I started, yeah, you know, the action scenes, I'd say like, you know, page 11 through 13, this is mm -hmm. where Tasu Leach, you know, uh, fights a Rathtar with his bare hands or whatever it was, you know, that didn't happen, but, um, not till later. But, you know, so I would, I would leave that, uh, that room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely could tell that for sure. I mean, uh, some of the best comics action I've, I've seen, mm. especially Paolo, uh, yeah. no, and no shade to anyone else, but definitely. Yeah. He, Really, it really felt engaging and and just the motion and the, the impact of the of the action. But again, it's it's actually within a very you know very heartfelt story and very yeah. uh, he's, he's fantastic. So definitely, the action served the story really well. Mm -hmm. um, we we have reached the hour, uh, Chris. Do you have any, any any further things you'd like to ask, Ethan? Yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, overall, like what would you tell somebody like you, you start with journalism, for instance, what would mm. you tell somebody like that might be listening or watching um, how to get started with just writing comics in general? Maybe they're in a completely different field or something. Yeah. How would they, how, how'd you transition? I guess just, just tips. Sure. Well, the, the shortest version of how of my not so secret origin story is mm. uh, I covered for many years for the New York daily news. I covered uh, the, with the quote unquote geek beat, which was awesome. Mm. I got it pretty much because when I started there's a bunch of older features writers, no one really cared about this stuff except for me. So I got to write about comics and star Wars and later game of Thrones and walking dead and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, just about horror, occasionally video games, all, all this kind of stuff. So uh, I got to know people over the years, uh, Joe Quesada, uh, former editor in chief Marvel, later uh, chief creative officer of Marvel became a good friend of mine. Uh, I did a Star Wars related interview with an actor, Paul Blake, who played Greedo 
for in 2016 for an article that I pitched for May the Force be with you. May the Fourth be with you, um, and they they let me do it, which was basically like talking about the whole who shot first thing. Nice. And I got to talk to Greedo himself. Uh, it was just a funny interview. He was talking about Greedo being myopic because of the eyes and like missing. But he did say it said in the script, Han shoots alien. So I had this idea. Uh, there's a very famous uh, Japanese movie by the director Kurosawa, who's influenced George Lucas greatly, uh, which was based on a, on a Japanese uh, novel called uh, Rashomon. And it's, it's a, like a murder in feudal Japan. But the, the gimmick behind it is it's four different witnesses, including the ghost of the murder victim, and all the accounts are completely different. So I had this idea, it just popped in my head, of doing the murder investigation into Greedo's death. Um, and it and like no but no witnesses are telling the exact same story. Uh, just the same, same structure. So it's clearly an homage. I just I couldn't get out of my head. It was making me laugh. And so I was at a Mets game with Joe and I was like, do you mind if I send you a spec script? You know, I'm a reporter. So like if on the off chance it's published, I'll just donate the money to charity. We'll be very public about it. Um, and he was like, sure, whatever. He was not editor in chief at that point. He, you know, he's not directly involved with the day-to-day -day comics. Mm -hmm. He's not enthusiastic, but he's, he agreed to, to look at it. So I never wrote a comic book script before. I quickly uh, did everything. You know, I, I read a million of them. I sort of cherry picked the ones that I really loved and I looked at how they were formatted, how they were paced. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had this rough idea and I, I, I contacted um, a publicist that I worked with at Lucasfilm on, you know, on the movie side. And she ended up putting me in touch with Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, so I could ask these questions and it's like, basically the most important thing is Greedo shot first. Like that's canon. Like, but I still played around with that. So I came up with a story. I send it out in the email to Joe, and I don't hear anything for weeks. So I think, okay, he must have really hated this. Um, I went to Japan. My wife's Japanese, and we went to visit my in-laws. The plane lands back in New York on September 7th, 1996, sorry, 2016. Okay. Um, and the day changed my life, basically, because I get an email from Joe, and the subject line is F. Greedo. <laughs> um, so I think, wow, he really must have hated it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the tone of it was never mind Greedo, just to, to uh, paraphrase it in a family friendly way. <laughs> never mind Greedo, you can actually write. Uh, and I'm kind of pissed that it's that I've known you for all these years and I did not know this. So, like, he basically was so excited about the script that he brought it to Axel Alonso, who was the then editor in chief. He loved it. Uh, it never actually got published for reasons. Uh, but it got me in the door at Marvel. So literally this, and that is not a recommendation I give anyone unless they know somebody at Marvel for 20 years and, you know, they know you as a writer in other capacities or something. They don't take spec scripts and there are legal reasons for that. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, because if they look at a script and it's similar to something that's in the pipeline or something, then like they open themselves up to, you know, potential like legal issues or whatever. And so like, no, no one wants to read a spec script. That's just mm. not the way to do it. The better way to do it is, so I'm not an example to anyone is, is the <laughs> point of this story. But there are things that I've learned. Um, mm. And Jim Zub uh, has a great, if you, if you Google his uh, advice to people trying to break in, he wrote a blog entry about it. That's just, uh, he's a great writer and, and, you know, a great share of information for others. Uh, 
So anyway, so uh, the thing to do is to write comics. Uh, and there are more opportunities now than there ever were before yeah. to publish them online, to, you know, um, eventually find an anthology, things like that. Like whatever you can do to showcase how you tell a sequential story, because you may have the greatest Spider-Man story that's ever been thought of. No one's going to read, uh, read that synopsis or whatever from somebody who has no experience. It's just not mm. going to. Mm-hmm. They're not going to entrust this character that is their, you know, golden child to some stranger that they don't know. So, like, they're not going to read your brilliant idea. And so you, you should you should be thinking about your brilliant idea that is not some other person's IP or some other company's IP mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. and and make some examples of your storytelling. And also, the more you do, the better, because like, you will get better the more you you, you um you dabble in this field and I will say it's, it's hard to break in, but people do break in. So I think like the thing is actually do it, which sounds hard, but there are ways like, you know, you think about all these, these great success stories where mm-hmm. people have published their online comics yeah. and someone has picked it up or optioned it, you know, uh, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's step one, you know, and, and become a better writer as you do it or artist or whatever. Because you definitely need an artist, by the way. Like, you know, <laughs> comics is a right. visual medium. Mm-hmm. So if you're a writer, you need to pair yourself with an artist. And there's two ways you can do that. And the, like, one is you basically come in as partners of some kind, uh, but they're still doing the harder work. Uh, so generally, you need to pay an artist. Um, but if you have a friend who can draw really well and you team up and you agree to, you know, split whatever comes out of it that might be an option too, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's either co-ownership mm-hmm. uh, or you're paying the artist. Like you can't ask um, for like exposure or something like, like that's just not fair. So, uh, you know, but you can self-finance, you can, uh, you know, even a black and white comic, which you don't have coloring, like mm-hmm. what they're really looking for is how you tell a story. Mm-hmm. So you start doing that, you go to conventions and try to, Mm-hmm. meet editors when they're doing things like portfolio reviews or, you know, sitting down for ad- advice, introduce yourself, showcase your work. You know, they're always looking for new talent. It's just, but you have to have something to show them. Mm. Um, and I think people also get like blinded by the ideas like, Oh my God, I want to write star Wars. I have the best star Wars idea. And it's really cool. But at the same mm-hmm. time, like it's even cooler when you have your own stories to, yeah. to write that, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I'm gone. On. Very long answer. <laughs> a good no, answer. No. Great answer. Great, great, great answer for all of all of mm-hmm. us out there watching and listening. And and speaking of creator, I don't want you to leave this show until you tell us about the comic that you're writing with your daughter right now. Yeah. So please share. Um, so it's called A Haunted Girl. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to overshare with, with the audience uh, mm-hmm. today. And uh, basically, while I was writing Galaxy's Edge uh, number two, uh, my daughter basically was hospitalized, uh, a freshman in high school at the time, mm-hmm. uh, with severe depression and um, was, suic- she was suicidal. So uh, kind of caught us off guard. You know, we, we uh, you know, as parents, we, it, our, our lives pretty much changed almost instantaneously, you know, like, cause we, we missed a lot of warning signs. And I remember being in the, in the, cause, cause I was a freelancer. I just need my laptop. I was working out of the hospital cafeteria 
in between visiting hours, like when I could go upstairs. So I'm writing away my deadlines for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I was like, I want to come up with a story that will inspire her to keep wanting to live and keep fighting. And um, uh, the um, I wrote down in my reporter's notepad one line, which was the fate of all life rests with a girl who doesn't know if she wants to live. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a story around this line. Uh, I reached out to an artist I worked with, Marco Lorenzana, who was the artist on the very first Marvel uh, eight page story that I did uh, for it was like a daily bugle story for secret for a secret empire tie in. Uh, so he was on board and it took, you know, we started working on concept art and like outlines and all this kind of stuff. We were very close to a deal with a publisher in February of 2020. And then the pandemic happened and we lost uh, that opportunity. Um, I mean, it was never quite at the finish line anyway. Uh, But because we had this extra time, my daughter had gotten to a point, a better point where I asked her to write it with me to try to maybe help others. So uh, she did. We got a deal with uh, Syzygy, an imprint of image. And um, we teamed up with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the American Psychiatric Association. So we had some resource guides in the back of the book. Uh, Yeah, we've gotten some great feedback and um, seems to resonate with some people. And the last of four issues is out on February 21st, but the trade paperback is out on on uh, may 21st for um, mental health awareness month <laughs> it's yeah. a horror story i know this sounds like oh my god it's an after school special but it's very much a uh, a, a horror story mm-hmm. where the protagonist is going through all this fresh out of the hospital and trying to you know get back to school and all this kind of stuff and fighting all these feelings and it turns out she's the only one who can potentially save everybody from this supernatural apocalypse and it's very inspired by like japanese horror movies my my daughter is half japanese so she loves those kind of you know the ring and the grudge and all that kind of stuff so the visuals are very uh very like ghost japanese ghost kind of thing yeah it looks Mm -hmm. and and marco is just a brilliant artist so uh it just it looks really good and joe casada who uh who has uh helped my life in so many ways uh, contributed a cover for the first issue as a gift to support the cause. Hmm. It's definitely, uh, I mean, we love genre fiction. We love star Wars because of the way it talks about real life. And so Mm -hmm. uh, to see this comic do, do some real good in the real world. uh, Yeah. Really, really wonderful to see. Uh, I'm looking forward to picking that one up for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that, about the time uh thank you so much ethan for for coming oh, my on. pleasure Definitely yeah thanks appreciate for having it. Me. thank you uh, thanks for your support anything? over the years yeah I'll get of course of course yeah um where can they find you on the internet uh and anything else you'd like to plug uh yeah well i'm still on uh uh x slash twitter uh, for now uh ethan j Sachs. uh yeah i'm on blue sky i'm on instagram um mm. Yeah, I'm kind of dabbling in threads, but I'm not really there very much. So, yeah, Yeah. but uh, yeah, just uh, I appreciate everyone's fandom and, you know, that's what makes this this galaxy so, so beautiful. It's just Mm -hmm. something for everybody. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, Chris, uh, where can they find you on the Internet? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter slash X at Star Raptor. You can find my latest blog. I t- did a review on starraptor.substack.com for Suicide's uh, Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. Not a very good game. Not a very good <laughs> game. But and that was my first video game review, mind you. It's like yeah. the first video game review written one I've done. I've done video mm-hmm. reviews. Happens to be like one of the worst games I've played in a while. I'm like, this is not going to start off with a bag here. But if you want to read that and find my thoughts there, and then youtube.com slash Star Raptor for, for Star Wars, different things. So you can follow me, uh, Instagram and threads, MNUG1138, Twitter, NUG485. Uh, this Monday, uh, Joel and I are, are on the Ion Cannon podcast at 8 30 p.m. Eastern. We're talking. We're talking about ships. We're talking about Valentine's Day. It's you know two two single dudes talking about romance. It's what you want to what you want to hear. On. Uh, next Wednesday, um, yeah, it's a normal Wednesday for me. it's Ash Wednesday, which is you know special for me in Churchland. It's a normal Wednesday for me otherwise. Uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but uh, we are gonna we're gonna record. We're gonna talk about Mace Windu and uh, Higher Republic Adventures coming out. In Darth Vader. In Darth Vader. Yes, that's right. I I did mean to check, but you know got. The interview notes doing that so yeah please do join us uh next week wednesdays are for comics comics are for wednesdays i uh, has been the tractor being comics review chris thanks for for helping out ethan thanks again for coming mm-hmm. on um until yes. then happy reading sounds good